A very good morning to all our listeners and a warm welcome to our program of Vigyan Prasad. Let me have the privilege of inviting all of you to be active participants in this program. And what follows is a conversation between me, Boranjoy, and my friend Rupa. And we are going to discuss the planet Mercury. Good evening, Boranjoy. How is life treating you? Very well. Good evening to you, Rupa. How are you? I'm fine. Why are you standing out there in the terrace? It's really cold out there. Actually, I'm looking at the sky to see if I can see any planets. But by looking at the sky, you won't be able to see the planets. You would see the stars and the moon. Then, Rupa, what do I do? I have to prepare some notes on the planet Mercury and I have very little time with me. Paranjoy, that won't help you anyway. Just get me your books. I'll try to help you out. Thanks so much, Rupa. Let me get my books right away. Oh, Paranjoy, listen, to start with, tell me what you know about the planet Mercury. Mm, actually, I just know that Mercury is the closest planet to the sun. Very good. But if you have to prepare some notes on it, then this much information is not enough. I know. Please, please tell me something more about Mercury. Sure thing. Throughout most of history, astronomers dismissed Mercury as the least interesting of the planets. In recent years, however, they have begun to revise their opinion of the world closest to the sun. Many astronomers now see Mercury as the vital missing link that may explain how the other rocky planets, including the Earth, came into being. Tell me, what about the surface of Mercury? Is it a fossil? Yes, dear. The battered surface of Mercury is a fossil from the earliest days of the solar system, unaltered by later geological activity. The largely airless planet has no erosion, no volcanoes and no recycling of its rocks. Can we see it from the Earth? Yes. As seen from the Earth, Mercury never seems to stray far from the Sun. As a result, we see it only in the bright twilight glow after sunset or before sunrise. Anyone with a clear horizon to the east or west should be able to see Mercury two or three times per year as a bright star that is visible when the sky is too bright for the real stars to show. But slight cloud or mist will hide the f this fleeting visitor to the sky and many astronomers have never seen Mercury for themselves, including it is said Nicholas Copernicus, the monk who first demonstrated that the planets go around the sun rather than the earth and this was somewhere in the 15th 16th century that's very interesting will you tell me more rupa as the closest planet to the sun mercury has the shortest year of any planet orbiting the sun in only 88 days its orbit is also the most elliptical barring that of remote little pluto at its near point mercury is only 46 million kilometers from the sun's fierce heat but the other end of its orbit takes it to 70 million kilometers away as it swings around its closest approach to the sun mercury speeds through space at 200,000 kilometers per hour a hundred times Far faster than the Concorde. Here, the sun's gravity is so strong that Newton's simple laws of gravitation break down. In defiance of Newton, Mercury's whole elliptical orbit is gradually swinging around the sun. In 1915, Albert Einstein produced a new theory of gravity, general relativity, that could explain Mercury's odd motion. This theory has spread its wings far beyond the solar system to predict phenomena such as black holes and the Big Bang 
with which the universe began. When we see Mercury through the telescope, how does it look? Does it appear small or big? Uh, through a telescope, we can see the Mercury is a small world, only 40% larger than our moon. It is the second smallest planet after Pluto and is smaller than the solar system's largest moon, Ganymede. This circles the giant planet, Jupiter. Because Mercury is so tiny, a telescope shows a little detail on it, just a few dusky shadings. For this reason, we knew virtually nothing about Mercury until the 1960s. This saw the advent of the new astronomies, techniques that goes beyond ordinary telescopes. New astronomies? Never heard about that. Will you explain, Rupa, what uh, new astronomies is all about? Yeah. American astronomers use the world's largest radio telescope, a dish of metal strung inside a vast limestone hollow at Arecibo in Puerto Rico to bounce radio waves off Mercury. This technique is a version of the radar used at airports and on board ships. Just as terrestrial radar shows the locations of planes and ships, so astronomical radars pinpointed exactly where Mercury was and how far away. Does this mean that it even showed how the planet was spinning? Exactly. Now, Puranjoy, you know a lot about it now. No, that was just a wild guess. Anyway, the reflected radio waves showed how rapidly the planet was spinning, once in 59 days. This result came as a complete surprise to the astronomers. They had thought that Mercury turned once in 88 days, the same period as its year. If the rotation period measured relative to the stars is the same as Mercury's year, then the planet turns on its axis at exactly the same rate as it moves around the sun. So, rotating the planet in such a way that the same side always faces the sun. On this side, there will be perpetual daylight, while the other side has eternal light. Daytime or nighttime are infinitely long. Rupa, I've learned quite a lot of new things in such a short span of time. Would you permit me now to take a little break? Please do that again and we'll start over later. Okay, just wait. Vigyan Prasad Network with NET of Science Clubs was established with the aim of making science learning joyful and meaningful to the children. Currently, there are about 5,000 VIPnet clubs spread across the country. Vigyan Prasar has been involved in designing and developing activity kits and other resource materials for VIPnet clubs. Okay, after the break. Before I tell you more about the planet Mercury, I would be happy if you repeat all that we have discussed, please. All right, Rupa. To start with, we discussed the history of Mercury. Astronomers dismissed Mercury as the least interesting of planets. In recent years, however, they have begun to revise their opinion of the world closest to the Sun. Many astronomers now see Mercury as the vital missing link that may explain how other rocky planets, including the Earth, came into being. The battered surface of Mercury is a fossil from the earliest days of the solar system, unaltered by later geological activity. The largely airless planet has no erosion, no volcanoes and no recycling of its rocks. The battered surface of Mercury is a fossil from the earliest days of the solar system, 
unaltered by later geological activity. As seen from the Earth, Mercury never seems to stray far from the Sun. As a result, we see it only in the bright twilight glow after sunset or before sunrise. Anyone with a clear horizon to the east or west should be able to see Mercury two or three times per year as a bright star. Oh Rupa, before I forget to ask you, please tell me more about the rotation of the planet Mercury. I was just coming to that. The rotation rate of 59 days is exactly two-thirds of Mercury's year. This has a peculiar effect on the length of Mercury's day as measured from noon to noon. The day on Mercury is twice as long as the year. I was just wondering if you could tell me about the motion of Mercury around the Sun. Someone standing on the surface of Mercury would see the Sun apparently moving from east to west across the sky because the planet is turning. Just as we see the Sun appear to move across the Earth's sky as our planet turns during the course of the day. But Mercury is moving rapidly around the Sun at the same time and this motion makes the Sun's position in the sky change too in the opposite direction. As a result, the yearly motion effectively slows down the daily movement of the Sun across the sky. So prolonging the length of daytime and nighttime. So that the period from noon to noon increases from 59 Earth days to 176 Earth days. So we learn a lot by using these radio telescopes. Is that not uh, correct? No dear, it is not like that. Even with powerful radio telescopes, there is not a lot we can learn about Mercury from the Earth. Everything else we know about this planet has come from cameras and other instruments on board Hardy spacecraft Marina 10. Marina 10? What is that? Sounds quite difficult. Not at all. It is not difficult. I'll explain. The American Space Agency NASA launched Marina 10 in November 1973. It was to be the first spacecraft to fly past two planets, taking in a close encounter with Venus on its way to Mercury. The long journey turned out to be a tense one for the controllers on Earth, as more and more problems beset Marina 10. You mean to say that Marina 10 was not a successful mission? No. Would you stop interrupting and allow me to continue? No, no, please continue. Okay, listen. Marina 10 spacecraft successfully swept past Venus in February 1974 and reached Mercury the following month. Marina's orbit around the Sun was even more elliptical than Mercury's and its path brought it back past Mercury every two Mercurian years. As a result, the spacecraft was able to take two more sets of photographs of Mercury later in 1974 before it ran out of the propellant gas that kept it pointing to the correct direction in space. To the disappointment of many astronomers, Marina 10 found a barren cratered world as pitted as the moon and almost as lacking in atmosphere. What happened to Mercury? Mercury has apparently been dead since soon after the birth of the solar system, but first appearances turned out to be misleading. Mercury is bearing a message that has yet to be deciphered fully. Rupa, can we take a short break at this point of time? Okay, Paranjak. Radio popularization is a major activity of Vigyan Prasar. Vigyan Prasar, jointly with National Council for Science and Technology Communication, NCSTC has established an amateur radio club, VU2NCT. The importance of ham radio cannot be overemphasized during the natural calamities like floods or earthquakes.
after the break. The four rocky planets were built from large chunks of rock like the present day asteroids that came together under the influence of each other's gravity. At the point where we pick up Mercury's history, the last of these fragments of rock were still falling onto the young planet and blasting our craters in a thin solid crust. Beneath this thin layer of rocks, the planet was molten, liquefied partly by the energy from the infalling rocks and partly from the heat generated by radioactive atoms. Inside the planet, particles of molten iron in the liquid rock drizzled down towards the center of Mercury to form a core of almost pure iron. During this time, was Mercury still spinning? Yes, and you know what? At that time, Mercury was spinning much more rapidly than it is today, turning once in perhaps only 20 hours. My God, and nothing happened to it. As a result, it bulged out slightly at the equator, just as the Earth does. The Sun's strong gravity raised huge tides in the largely molten world, and these slowed down its spin. You mean to say Mercury still has the bulge? No, dear. As Mercury headed towards the 59-day rotation rate that it has today, its bulges gradually disappeared and its shape became more and more like a perfect sphere. This thin solid crust had to crack and shift to accommodate itself to the new shape. These elongated breaks in the crust have survived much of the later cratering to appear as a faint pattern of faults that geologists can pick out on the surface of Mercury even today. As fragments of rock continued to rain on to the young Mercury surface, pools of lava began to well up from underneath to form flat plains that now cover most of the planet's surface. The lava buried many of the earliest craters, but later impacts have peppered the solidified lava plains with many more craters. It seems I've got a lot of points for my class tomorrow. I'm sure uh, I'm going to get the highest marks in my class. I hope you do, dear. That'll be a credit for me. Now I'll tell you the most important and the interesting fact. What is that, uh, Rupa? Tell me. 3850 million years ago, Mercury was shaken by a catastrophic event. An infalling asteroid about 100 kilometers in diameters hit the planet. This rock blasted out a huge hole in Mercury's side, 1300 kilometers across. The impact sent out ripples through the solid rock, forming a bull's eye of circular mountain ridges that stretches over 3700 kilometers. Astronomers call this vast car the Caloris Basin. Very interesting indeed. But tell me, why is it called Caloris Basin? It's called so because it happens to lie near to one of the hot poles that suffered the most intense heat as Mercury orbits the Sun. As the waves from the Caloris impact travelled around Mercury, the planet's curvature focused them to a point on the opposite side. Here, their diminishing energy was still strong enough for the waves to break up the existing craters and rearrange the surface in hills up to 2000 meters high. These form a chaotic mountainous terrain that is unique in the solar system. After this traumatic event, Mercury settled down to a quieter life with a gradually diminishing rain of smaller rock fragments, blasting out a sprinkling of smaller craters. But now Mercury was cooling down, and as it cooled, the planet shrank slightly in size. The solid crust now had to wrap itself around a world 
that was a couple of kilometers smaller. Like the skin of a shrunken old apple, the crust of mercury wrinkled. The wrinkled ridges it formed have cut through planes and craters alike to form features that we know on no other planet. I would like to here add on something to your point. I have heard that the most significant fact about mercury, however, is one that does not show up in spacecraft pictures at all. Mercury is an extremely dense planet. Not bad, Paranja, you'll know a lot. Also, as Marina 10 swung past Mercury, the controllers on Earth were able to measure the planet's gravitational pull accurately for the first time, and their calculations told them Mercury's mass. The spacecraft images showed exactly how big Mercury is. As a result, astronomers were able to divide the planet's mass by its volume to find its density. This turned out to be 5.44 times the density of water. In fact, as you said Mercury is a dense planet, it is actually the second densest planet after the Earth. A straight comparison is, however, rather misleading. The Earth is such a large planet that its inner regions are crushed to a higher density than they would normally have. If we allow for the squeezing in the larger worlds, we find that Mercury is made of material that is denser on an average than the material of any other planet. So, uh, tell me, what is Mercury made out of? Assuming that it is basically similar to the Earth, which we know well, there is a simple answer. Mercury is made largely of iron. Geologists have worked out that the Earth's interior has two main regions. At the center is a core that makes up about one-sixth of the planet's volume and is composed of the dense metal iron. Around it is wrapped a mantle of rock which is much less dense. We can explain Mercury's high density quite easily by supposing that it has a dense iron core that makes up almost half of the planet's volume with a correspondingly thinner layer of mantle rocks. I hope Paranjoy after discussion your notes will be made really well and you will get very good marks in the project. Thank you so much Rupa. You know definitely I think you know this discussion has helped me very much and the subject you have made so interesting and easy for me to understand. Friends, this was a conversation which revealed very many interesting facts about the planet Mercury. Astronomers had dismissed Mercury as the least interesting of the planets. In recent years, however, they have begun to revise their opinion of the world closest to the Sun. Many astronomers now see Mercury as the vital missing link that may explain how the other rocky planets, including the Earth, came into being. The battered surface of Mercury is a fossil from the earliest days of the solar system, unaltered by later geological activity. As seen from the Earth, Mercury never seems to stray far from the Sun. As a result, we see it only in the bright twilight glow after sunset or before sunrise. Anyone with a clear horizon to the east or west should be able to see Mercury two or three times per year as a bright star that is visible when the sky is too bright for the real stars to show. But slight cloud or mist will hide this fleeting visitor to the sky and many astronomers have never seen Mercury for themselves, including, it is said, Nicholas Copernicus, who lived between 1473 and 1543, the monk who first demonstrated that the planets grow around the sun rather than the earth. Through a telescope, we can see that Mercury is a small world only 40% larger than our moon. 
It is the second smallest planet after Pluto and is smaller than the solar system's largest moon, Ganymede. This circles the giant planet Jupiter. Because Mercury is so tiny, a telescope shows a little detail on it, just a few dusky shadings. For this reason, we knew virtually nothing about Mercury until the 1960s. This saw the advent of the new astronomies, techniques that go beyond the ordinary telescopes. American astronomers used the world's largest radio telescope, a dish of metal, strung inside a vast limestone hollow at Arecibo in Puerto Rico to bounce radio waves off Mercury. This technique is a version of the radar used at airports and on board ships. Just as terrestrial radar shows the locations of planes and ships, so astronomical radar pinpointed exactly where Mercury was and how far away. Well, after listening to our show, what are your reactions? Do tell us, as we will be waiting for your reactions, suggestions, queries, replies, ideas, views. And our postal address is Vigyan Prasad, C24, Kutub Institutional Area, New Delhi, 110016. Let me repeat the address, Vigyan Prasad, C24 Kutub Institutional Area, New Delhi, 110016. Now it's time for us to say goodbye, have a nice day, and we hope to see you once again in the next program of Vigyan Prasad. Namaskar. Namaskar. Research, Mridula Balakrishnan. Script, Poonam Srivastav and Mridula Balakrishnan. Production Assistants, Priya Natarajan and Mridula Balakrishnan. Voice-over Artist, Paranjay Guhathakurta and Rupa Mitra. Recording, Editing and Mixing, Sadhan Lal Mehta. Program Coordinator, Dr. T. V. Benkateswaran. Welcome to Vigyan Vani Science Snippets. Electronic Governance Electronic Governance or e-governance may be defined as a delivery of government services and information to the public using electronic means. E-governance has emerged as one of the flaccid applications of information technology to the processes of government functioning to bring about simple, moral, accountable, responsive and transparent governance. The IT-enabled government will ensure better transparency and services to the public. This would enable citizens to have the choice of accessing government information and services. Advancement in information technology provides the opportunity to governments and administrations throughout the world to improve the delivery of information and services to citizens and businesses, to streamline public sector functions and to increase participation in government. The Government of India has taken several steps in pursuing e-governance to make this concept a reality. The Ministry of Information Technology has set up a center for e-governance for creating awareness amongst decision makers offering e-governance solutions and services and implementing policy changes for effective e-governance. The Planning Commission of the Government of India has recommended that the government earmark approximately rupees 3,000 crores in addition to the 3% plan outlay of each ministry 
for regovernance and convergence projects during the 10th five-year plan, that is 2002 to 2007. For establishing a government-to-citizen interface, the Working Group of the Planning Commission has also proposed a set-up and India portal to serve as one-stop destination for public access to information on various aspects of government functioning as well as a single window system for delivery of government services. Though e-governance began with National Informatics Centers, NIC, their efforts to connect all district headquarters through computers in the 1980s, the approach over the years has grown out of the same idea. The concept has been dominated by connectivity, networking, technology upgradation, selective delivery systems for information and services, and an array of software solutions. E-governance possesses the potential to offer citizens the choice of accessing government information and services as and when required. The rules, procedures in the government can be made transparent to the citizens and information can be made freely available to them. In order to do so, government is also thought of introducing smart cards which will help the citizen to interact for utilities and services, make bill payments, vote electronically, obtain ration cards, passport and driving license. All these would ensure that the citizens' rights are well protected and documented in an electronic environment. This can be achieved if the records generated through electronic governance are carefully managed through systems providing constant intellectual and physical control. Thus, electronic governance is not something that can be implemented and managed by a group of information technology professionals alone. Record managers also have a key role to play along with the planners and developers of electronic governance programs. Honeybees. The bee's life is like a magic well. The more you draw from it, the more it fills with water. The above statement was made by Karl von Frisch, who was an Austrian zoologist who spent his whole research career studying the life of bees. He was awarded Nobel Prize in 1973 for decoding the language of bees. The small creature have really magnetic charms. Once you come to know bees closely, you will always feel an attachment towards them. For many people, bees can be a perennial source of learning as well as a dependable source of livelihood. If we learn from bees to keep our household as clean as a beehive, then we would be able to put an end to a number of diseases. Similarly, if our people can be as hardworking and disciplined as bees, then poverty will be banished from the society. Bees appeared on the earth some 56 million years ago before primitive man evolved. The little creatures enjoyed exceptional respect amongst the ancient people in all parts of the world. There are numerous myths, legends, stories and superstitions and fairy tales associated with these creatures as described by Norm Irish in his book. The book is named as Bees and People. 
In ancient India, bees were considered sacred companions of the gods. The Lord Vishnu had some uh, time depicted as a little bee resting in the cup of a lotus flower or with a blue bee hovering above his head. Kama, the god of love, was portrayed holding a bow with a bowstring made of chain of bees which symbolized that his arrows brought sufferings as well as enjoyment and love. The ancient Egyptians considered bees a symbol of selflessness, fearlessness and contempt for danger and death. <music>